0: scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 5 verses 7 to 12. Be patient then brothers until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other brothers or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear not by heaven, or by earth, or by anything else. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no, or you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Last week I talked about how 2.8% of the world's population has as much wealth as More than half the world's population, Um, and I did give a caveat that I'm not good at math, and I was told right after uh, and later on by other people that I was completely wrong. So the actual number is this: is 0.000028% of the world's population own more than seven points. Sorry, more than 58% of the world's population. I think that was like 4.6 billion. So anyways, I double checked with our finance person to make sure that the percentage was correct and it is correct. So. Actually, this number is a lot worse than I thought about the number of people before. I thought 2.8% of the world's population doesn't seem as bad as this number. This number to me sounds crazy. Meaning if there were 100 people in this world, less than one person by a long shot at 0.000028%, of a person would own more wealth than 58 actual people. This is crazy. There is no way that these numbers are fair or just. Talking about numbers, here are a few others that have come to mind for me this week. There are 23.9 million cases of COVID-19 in our world Uh, as of this past week, and 820,000 people who have died from COVID-19. In Canada, we have had 128,000 cases and 9,113 cases of death from COVID-19. Eight minutes and 46 seconds is the length of time a cop was kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Seven gunshots were fired this week by a policeman on a man named Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. On top of this, a lot of us are worried about going back to school and what that would mean for us and our kids. And now, Hurricane Laura. When it rains, it really does pour. It is within this we are uh, within this context that we hear the words of James in our passage today. He says, "Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient and stand firm. Persevere and endure." So, what kind of patience is James talking about here? Here, the Greek word to be patient describes an attitude that is long suffering and that uses self restraint. It is a type of patience that does not try to get even for for wrongs that have been committed and is non retaliatory. So, in verse 7, when James says, Be patient, he's talking about this long suffering patience that is not trying to get even. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters. Until the Lord's coming. In what kind of circumstance are we not to get even and to be patient? The word then in Greek is un, uh, which is referring to the previous passage. So when James says here to be patient, he's referring to being patient in the midst of injustice that is caused by the rich oppressors. It is in the midst of this kind of injustice where 0.000028% of the world's population own more than half the world's uh, wealth. It is within this context that James says, be patient, to be persevering, to endure, to, peop- to be people who do not retaliate, but to be long-suffering and persevering. This to me is, sounds really hard to do, It's very hard for us not to retaliate and to respond in kind or in anger. But here's a picture of what happens when we respond with anger, even for the things that we may think is right. So, this is a picture of rioters trying to force someone to raise her hands as a way to support Black Lives Matter. They were intimidating her and saying, If you don't raise your hand, then you are not for us. You, are, you, you don't care about uh, Black Lives Matter. The irony of this thing is that she was part of the, the rioters before, or the protests before, and, and was taking a break. But she stood firm. And didn't give in to this crowd, which I thought was very, very good of her. Doesn't it just make you shake your head that they would do such a thing? But does, does this mean that we just sit there and do nothing? I do not think this is what James means to be patient. What I think he means is that we are to respond not in retaliation, but to respond in doing good. It means to turn the other cheek to to do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. It means to respond faithfully in love. It means to be patient and to endure and to persevere in doing good, in speaking and standing firm for justice. When the NBA players heard about the shooting of Jacob Blake, they had a conversation amongst themselves uh, as, as, as a team to discuss what had happened. Many of these players who have experienced for themselves this systemic injustice and racial, uh, and racial racism felt that they needed to do more than what had been done. You know, the NBA has been great in being vocal and, and, and sharing this message of, of equality, but they felt as though these words were not enough. They had to do something more. And so they decided to boycott their playoff game as a way to impress upon those who have power to make changes to do something about this. Here's a picture of the Milwaukee Bucks reading a team statement together about why they are boycotting and not playing their game. Milwaukee is only 40 minutes away uh, from Kenosha, Wisconsin where Jacob Blake was shot seven times. In their statement, they urged lawmakers and law enforcers to do better and asked for justice. You can say that they were standing firm for what is right and just. James 5 you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And James gives three examples of why we are to be patient and the first example he gives is that of a farmer waiting for the rain to come. The farmer can ready the field and sow seeds, but can't do anything about the rain. In the same way, we are called to work the field and sow seeds of justice, but it is up to God to be the judge. Yes, we are called to be part of God's kingdom on this earth, but there is this awareness that God has, also, God, God has to also act. We cannot do it on our own nor is it something that is just up to God. We're to be patient and to stand firm because the Lord is coming, as sure as the rain will come. James reminds us that in the midst of our suffering, patience, uh, in our long-suffering patience, that we are not to grumble or judge one another. And I think there's... uh, some truth here about our attitude in the midst of this waiting and standing firm. It's very easy for us to get bitter or angry and and to start blaming one another for what is going on. When I look through the comments online, there's a lot of judgment being passed around to whose fault all of this is. It is really easy for us to point fingers and shake our heads. Even at those rioters and say how wrong they are. But instead of responding in judgment, we are called to respond in long-suffering patience. Look at the warning that James gives us here. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James, I don't think you understand what is going on in our world right now. Don't talk to me about being patient and persevering. You just don't get it. We're in a a global pandemic. There are protests and rioting going on. There's violence and injustice all over the place. There's just way too much going on right now. And you're asking us to be patient? Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The second example that James gives to why we are to be patient is the example of the prophets. Many, if not all of the prophets in the Old Testament suffered, and in the New Testament. Many prophets were beaten, tortured, and were put in prison. Prophets such as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Amos, and others were martyred for their messages. These prophets suffered and persevered with patience, not in a passive manner, but stood firm in their message of justice, holiness, and call for the people of Israel to turn back to God. They spoke up against the oppressed and were people of compassion. To stand up and speak against injustice is the long-suffering patience that the prophets lived out, and we are called to do the same. The third example that James gives is the life of Job. And I think the story of Job can be very helpful for us in the midst of what is happening in the world. The book of Job deals with suffering as not, as, as not something that's happened to Job because of the wrongs that he's done, but rather points to the wisdom of God that is beyond our understanding. Job was removed of every sign of God's favor, and yet He did not abandon God. Yes, he asks questions about why he's even alive, why this is happening to him. He praises God with one breath and then questions God with another. And we see his friends coming by, giving him reasons for why this has happened to him. There must be some sin in your life, Job, that's brought about this suffering. And Job claims his innocence. And this back and forth dialogue goes on for many chapters in the book. And you could say that they were grumbling about what's going on in the midst of waiting for God to show up. This grumbling that James warns us not to do. And in the end, God does show up and gives Job a response. And this response isn't, here's why you're suffering, but rather a questioning of Job from God. God asks Job, who are you? Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I mapped out the universe? In the end, we see that God does not answer why there is suffering, but rather that God has not abandoned Job, nor does he abandon us. Job, in the midst of his suffering, questioned God and cried out to him, even blaming him for what what was going on, but never stopped crying out to God. And I believe that the story of Job is helpful for a helpful example in the midst of our current situation. We're not suffering from COVID-19 because of some sin in our lives. We don't know why it's happening, but in the midst of it, we know that there is suffering, and this is now how the world is, should be. We know that in this time of suffering that we can cry out to God and God hears our prayers. We are waiting for God to show up and to do something about this mess. God, where are you? Why is there so much pain and suffering? What is going on? It is in this context we need to be reminded of who God is. God is not a God who just gives us good things when we do good things and bad things when we are bad. It's not that simple. God is... In many ways, someone we can't understand beyond our understanding. And we know that his ways are higher than our ways. Yet James does remind us of the kind of God we believe in. That our God, even in his coming and judgment, is not an angry God or a wrathful God. But rather he is a God who is compassionate and merciful. The Lord is full of compassion and And mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 0.000028%, 8 minutes and 46 seconds, seven shots in the back, and other countless number of evil and injustice. How are we to respond? There's a part of us that hopes for a God who will come and give them due justice that they, they would be punished and even wiped out because of the anger we feel inside. But this isn't how God is. We want God to be like this, but the Lord that we know in Jesus Christ is full of compassion and mercy, even told to those who are the rich oppressors, even to those cops who are trigger-happy, even to the rioters who, their, who in their anger burn and destroy. Our response is to wait upon the Lord, to be patient and responding and not in retaliation, where to retaliate in doing good, standing firm for justice, but also in mercy. So the NBA players decided to boycott their games on Wednesday this week, and by Friday, the NBA, the players and the governors have decided to immediately establish a social justice coalition. They decided to start playing games again, but with these things in place. That with the social justice coalition, that they would also create space in their arenas to encourage voting. And throughout the playoffs, that they would run ads to raise awareness and to encourage greater civic engagement. To me, this is one great example of long-suffering and patience. We as Canadians can also point our fingers easily to the states and say, wow, we're just glad we're not in the United States. And we're glad we're not like them, that we don't have issues of racial inequality and injustice, issues like they do. But are we any better? I want to share with you a video from CBC um, and it's a little bit long, but I, I thought we need to see this video and to um, look at our own history.
2: I was six years old when they took me to a residential school. I remember the day walking toward that school with my mother, and it was a silent walk, and I was so afraid. Twenty or thirty little kids herded into the showers and then your body being painted in white liquid of some kind, your hair cropped and then doused in kerosene. And that was pretty traumatizing. The school held roughly 220 people, half boys, half girls, and we were segregated. If I was caught waving at my uh, sister, there'd be a punishment for it. And, And so as a result of that segregation, I never really learned any social skills that young people should be learning as they grow up. From a religious and spiritual perspective, of course, the churches lobbied hard to convert Indigenous people, Aboriginal people. They said that we were heathen and pagan. They targeted language in those things we had learned through all of millennia. To know where we came from, to know who we were, as something that had to be eliminated. Before that time, I lived in a place called Qayasims. They call it Guilford Island now. We harvested from the forest all of the animals that we needed to provide us sustenance and from the ocean in front of us as well all of the species of whales and mink and fish and i had a connection to the environment around us and so after having spent years in those schools by the time we were ready to leave most of us were pretty broken many of us including myself descended into addictions alcoholism and violence and it was pretty pretty uh, difficult. Those schools lasted for over a hundred years. There were over 150,000 little children. And the last school that closed in Canada was in 1996 in Saskatchewan. There was a history on this land that had been absolutely ignored. Nobody knew about the residential school legacy. Nobody knew about the intent of the Indian Act, the chronic challenges now facing Aboriginals. And we're starting to uh, accept the idea that we have this shared history for which we all are responsible for. When the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report was uh, submitted, I was in the room when Justice Murray Sinter, the chair of the Commission, denounced Canada. He had just recited a litany of intensive harms against Aboriginal people. And, and when he said, Canada, you have committed cultural genocide, There was just a silence in that room, and then all of a sudden it erupted in euphoria. We said, survivors want an apology from the Prime Minister in the House of Commons. And I was there and I heard the words, I'm sorry. And then I couldn't see because my eyes were just flowing with tears. I was so happy that somebody had said, I'm sorry. Canada, by the way, is the only Western country that has had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So we're trying to look through a new lens. We and Canadians, we as an Aboriginal, we celebrate each other, everybody cheering each other up as we move toward a more equal, prosperous future for all of us. My name is Chief Robert Joseph, and I believe that Truth and Reconciliation is Canada.
1: Truth and reconciliation is Canada, and truth and reconciliation is the gospel. I mentioned earlier about COVID numbers for Canada, 128,000 cases and 9,113 deaths within the last six months. Over a period of 160 years, there were 150,000 children in residential schools with over 6,000 that died those numbers are not that far off with our COVID numbers and just just that this was in in the case of the our indigenous people was done, done systematically by our government and our churches can you believe that the last publicly funded residential school closed in 1996 in 2015 the truth and reconciliation commission of canada created a document with 94 calls of action. Within that document, there are nine actions that are directed at churches. They range from asking the church to apologize for what they've done to that of teaching as clergy on the history of the church's role in colonization. They ask for things like respecting their own spirituality. And in many ways, us watching that video is a response to that act, action one of those nine actions uh, that were directed at churches and uh, you know yeah Whew. Okay, so uh, I'm not much of a church church leader, uh, but uh, I am one. And so I do want to say that we are sorry as the church. So if you've never heard that from a church leader, um, yeah, we're sorry. So you may be asking, though, what does residential schools have to do with our passage today? Well, let me ask you, if you were an indigenous person reading this passage, who would you think was the rich oppressors that they they should be patient and standing firm against? It would be us. We as a church and as a country have not been just with our indigenous brothers and sisters and still continue to live as if they don't exist. We live as though what we did to them doesn't matter and that their problems are not our problems. I encourage you this week to just read up more on how we can stand with and for our indigenous brothers and sisters and how we can continue to be a people of long-suffering patience with and for people who are being oppressed. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Let us remember remember this as we wait patiently for him, that he calls all his people children, therefore our brothers and sisters. Let us, as we wait for him, recognize our call to stand firm, firm for what is good and just, to not grumble and blame others, but to show compassion and mercy. Because our God who will judge is a God who is full of compassion and mercy. Let's pray. Father God, we are sorry. We are in the wrong of the ways in which we th- have try to share your good news, to share Jesus to others. And for some of us who may not even feel like we were part of that injustice, help us to be aware that now we live off the fruits of those uh, injustice acts, unjust acts, and, and that we continue to perpetuate it. And God, as you are a God of compassion and mercy, I pray for that same heart in all of us that as we see others that are different than us, that we may see them with your eyes, to see them as as your beloved children, not some project to fix, some mission to accomplish, not for some way to get them to be like us, but that we would show compassion and mercy as you do with us. And I thank you that you're a God who can bear all of our complaints and grumbling and and the questions that we have in this time of COVID and of, of all the things that we see in this world that's not going right. And so we want to keep being patient, being people who stand firm, that persevere, that endure, with our hope that you are a God who is coming, that you are here in many ways already with us through your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.